please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. I will be reading verses 39 through 45. At the time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come greet me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This is the word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. And we ask that you would do your wondrous work in our hearts this morning. That you would speak to us and invite us and call out to us. And that you would lead us to your Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. Close your eyes. Take a couple slow, deep breaths. And think back on the past week. Yes, you too, Randy. Close your eyes. Think back on the past week. What was the best news you heard all week? Maybe it was news of a Friendsgiving being organized. Maybe it was an unexpected text from a friend or a crush. Perhaps you received news of a work opportunity or you heard rumors of holiday bonuses. Or maybe you got a notification saying that your Tesla was ready for pickup. This is a shot in the dark, but I don't know, maybe you're keeping up with the World Cup and you're excited that the US national team is undefeated for all of two matches. Doesn't mean they've won, but they also haven't lost. And then with eyes still closed, raise your hand if you just need more time to think. Don't worry, I'm not gonna ask anyone to share. If you're finding it hard to think of something, then, then go back further to the past two or three weeks, or even the past month or two. Maybe you're finding it impossible to recall any good news. Maybe you even feel like all you hear is bad news. You can open your eyes now. Who found it easy? Who found it hard? If you had trouble thinking of good news that you heard or received in the past couple weeks, the unfortunate reality is that this is not surprising. Most of the news we receive through, through media outlets is negative news. As I was working on this sermon, I decided to Google news. And no surprise, the top six headlines were all negative. And the sad truth is that this is the world we live in 
war, shootings, social and political divisiveness, scandal. Bad news dominates the headlines. And it points to the very real brokenness in and around our world. This is the world we live in, and we can't shut out reality, nor should we. But now reflect on this. Do you want good news? You know, as we're surrounded by nothing but bad news, does it make you crave good news? If you can believe it, research actually says that we don't exactly want good news. Back in 2020, the New York Times reported that 87% of news coverage in the midst of COVID, 87% was negative news, in a time when people probably would have benefited from some good news. But the report stated that people, by and large, have what they wrote, a bad news bias, meaning we're attracted to bad news. Get this, as an experiment, a Russian news site decided to publish only positive stories for one day, partly to provide people with good, uplifting news, but also partly just to see what would happen. And you know what happened, the result. The result was that they lost two-thirds of their subscribers, 66% of their subscribers unsubscribed. So research shows that we are 49% more likely to read something negative. In other words, we pay more attention to bad news than good news. And then that's true of news that we read, as well as the information that we hold on to in our day-to-day lives. And for example, do you tend to remember the nice things people say to you or the not-so-nice things? And as you might expect, this takes a toll on us. Bad news is actually forming us. You know, first, we reinforce a bad habit. We develop our bad news bias. Second, it takes a mental and emotional toll on us. Again, research shows that 26.7% of people who read bad news go on to develop serious anxiety. And then add that to the fact that we're living in a moment where mental health continues to decline. And then think of the conversations that we have. Most of, the new, most of the time, good news isn't what circulates in our conversation. It's usually things like, did you see what Elon Musk just did? Did you hear what Kanye just said? Did you hear about the shooting, second one this week? Or, man, all these pre-holiday work deadlines are going to kill me. Or, I just have so many tests to study for. It's like negative news in, negative news out. And misery loves company. There is simply no room for good news. And this is true on multiple levels. First level, there's literally no room for good news in the headlines, from the news sources we read to the social media outlets we follow, simply because good news doesn't sell. That's the sad fact. And it doesn't sell because we've been formed to gravitate towards bad news, which leads us to the second level. We ourselves don't have room for good news. We gravitate towards negative news over positive news. We tend to hold on to the negative more than the positive. And so unfortunately, we're formed more by the negative than the positive. So given all of this, is it any wonder why we are so anxious and in some cases so reactive? Is it any wonder that we're more prone to depression rather than joy? anxiety rather than peace, reactive retaliation rather than reconciliation and sacrifice, and even hate rather than love. 
On a more personal level, if we tend to hold on to the negative things people say about us or to us while forgetting the positives, is it any wonder that we continue to be so insecure and fragile, easily offended, defensive, lacking in confidence, full of image and identity issues? And to make matters worse, underneath this lies a deeper problem. In the midst of all the negative, as good news is constantly drowned out, as we gravitate more towards bad news like mosquitoes to a light bulb, is it possible that we're losing our sense for, recognition of, and even desire for good news? As we float and coast, tossed to and fro in the sea of negativity and toxicity, are we becoming so jaded, so complacent? Are our hearts growing so hardened that we have no longer any capacity for, let alone a desire for joy? This is a real problem here, my friends. We recently wrapped up a five-week series on Sabbath, talking about stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. And you know what was quite possibly the hardest part? Delight. Joy was the hardest part. So if, if we are losing our capacity for joy, then as followers of Jesus, that's a serious problem because joy is supposed to be a major byproduct of following Jesus. In Galatians, joy is the second fruit of the Spirit, just behind love. As we follow Jesus, the goal is love. To follow Jesus is to become more and more, a, through, the, through our participation with the Spirit, a person of love. And people of love tend to be people of joy and people of peace. This is part of what Christ-likeness looks like. But as we've talked about, our cultural climate of negativity is robbing us of peace, and it's robbing us of joy. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, people of love tend to be people who cultivate both peace and joy. Anxious, unjoyful people don't tend to love very well. So if we're being robbed of peace and joy, then logically speaking, by extension, we're being robbed of love, of our ability to receive, enjoy, and give love. And on this cheery note, welcome to the first week of Advent. As we step into the Christmas season, um, the title of this Advent series is Repeat the Sounding Joy. And over the next few weeks, I want to wrestle with these questions. First, why do we have so much trouble with joy? We kind of just addressed that. Second, why are we doomed to joylessness? I hope not. And third, and this might be the most challenging, do we even want joy? I mean, this might sound strange, but ponder this. Are we afraid of joy? In his book on Sabbath, teacher and writer Dan Allender argues that we are afraid of delight. In this community, you know, we, we know that it's okay to not be okay, and that's great. But I want to put this out there. It's also okay to be okay, to be joyful even. You're allowed to be. It's okay to choose and receive joy. And if we do, in fact, want joy, 
how can we push back the dark clouds of negativity to cultivate and practice joy? How can we become people who receive good news with gladness, hold on to good news, and take steps towards being people of joy? Do we cut up the cycles and trends of negativity in our news feeds by following a couple cute animal videos on our Insta to cheer us up? Side note, I may or may not do that. Do we avoid reality and, and just not keep up with current events altogether? I don't think that's the answer. Do we moderate our time spent consuming information and our intake of news? I think that's a good idea. Or is there something to be learned from the people and the events surrounding the birth of our Lord Jesus? Can we learn and practice a posture of joy even in the midst of sorrow, darkness, and pain? If you still have your Bibles, turn back to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one sitting in front of you or find a buddy. Luke chapter 1, back at verse 39. Before we dive into this passage together, I want to give you a chance to enjoy it on your own first through the practice of Lectio Divina. If you're new to our community, Lectio Divina is a way of reading scripture slowly and meditatively in order to give yourself space to listen and to give the spirit room to speak. I know this is going to make service a little bit longer today, but I think it's important. So first, once you're there, Read through the passage slowly and out loud on your own. Don't be shy. Read it through out loud and slowly and keep track of any words or phrases that stick out to you. Don't rush. We have all day. And I did say out loud. that down. Now take a moment and just ask God, God, what do you want to impress upon my heart through this passage? What do you have for me? And then read it a second time out loud, slowly, paying attention to anything that jumps out at you or speaks to you personally. If you're reading out of your own Bibles, I would encourage you to underline. Out loud.
Okay, let's bring it back together. Apparently it's too early in the morning to read out loud or you really don't want the person next to you to hear you. But how was that? <laughs> let's jump in together now. We're gonna pick it up together at verse 39. I'm gonna read it out loud. Verse 39. In those days, I wanna stop right there. Let's pause for a moment. Uh, if you're new to the Bible or the gospel story, let's just talk a tiny bit about context. So Mary and her relative Elizabeth here are both Jewish women. And the Jews at that time were living under Roman rule. That was the state of things. Rome conquered and took over Jerusalem by 63 BCE, so about 63 years before the events that are recorded right here. And, and while they still allowed Jewish government, the Jewish kings were basically like puppet kings to Rome. So Rome was in charge. So they're living under oppressive foreign rule. But to make matters worse, at the start of the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Jewish people had experienced nothing but silence from God. 400 years of silence, in fact. Imagine holding on to faith through that. We talk about periods in our lives when we just don't sense God's presence. But for the ancient Jews, it was 400 years. So that's a lot of bad news. Now, Mary and Elizabeth definitely didn't have constant Twitter feeds and news sources constantly spouting headlines and spreading negativity, but they were living in a time of real hopelessness. You know, the prophet Isaiah sums it up this way in Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness, those who dwelt in a land of darkness. Darkness looked like this. It seemed like God was absent and their country was no more. Now, one more detail for context. The angel Gabriel, by this point, has just told Mary that she's pregnant with Jesus, and that her relative, Elizabeth, who is pretty old by this point, is also pregnant. And so Mary decides to pay her a visit. In the midst of hard times, a woman decides to go visit her pregnant relative. And this is where our story picks up. Back of verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, keep a finger there, hold that image in your mind, and flip to Isaiah chapter 9. That's to the left in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read starting from verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, this is a prophecy pointing to the first coming of Jesus, given through the prophet Isaiah. Now, jump back to Luke. A couple of things to take note of here. First, after centuries of waiting for this coming Messiah, for the Savior who would come to bring liberation and deliverance out of oppressive foreign rule, for the promised king to arrive... Notice who receives the good news first. There's a couple verses back. The angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells her what's happening. Hey, Mary, I'm an angel, but don't be afraid. God is with you. You know that long-awaited Savior that your people have been waiting for? Well, guess what? You're going to give birth to him. You'll name him Jesus. He's the promised king and he will reign forever. Got it? Great. Then, the second person who receives the news is Elizabeth. Now, this might seem like a minor detail, but we have to remember that this is a patriarchal, male-dominated society. And yet, after years of prophecy and waiting, the news of our Savior first comes to women. And this is no coincidence. Remember, when Jesus was crucified and then resurrected, who are the first people to see him? Who does he appear to first? It's women, again. It's Mary Magdalene. And this is amazing for a couple of reasons. First, as you said, this is a male-dominated society in which women had very little standing. But second, this is extremely redemptive. You don't have to flip here, but let's jump to Genesis chapter 3. Right after Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit, God says to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Sin enters the world through Eve's disobedience. But redemption enters the world through Mary. The serpent crusher comes into the world through Mary. The Savior enters the world through Mary and her faithfulness. Let's pick it up back at verse 42. Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary is most blessed, and Elizabeth is blessed by the news. News of redemption's arrival comes first to a pair of normal Jewish women. A humble, seemingly insignificant young virgin and her aging relative. The greatest news of all time comes to those whom society at that time would pay little attention to. 
the greatest news of all time comes first to the disenfranchised, to those of low status, of humble estate, those who seem insignificant and easily overlooked. In other words, those who are most ready to receive good news. And this is so God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. God chose Moses, a nervous stutterer, to deliver his people out of Egypt. God chose David, the youngest and puniest of Jesse's sons, to defeat Goliath and eventually become king. God comes into the world in the flesh, in the form of not a majestic warrior king, but as a helpless infant child. Throughout the Bible, we see again and again God choosing the unlikely. God going after the unlikely. He's a God who does the unlikely again and again. The God who leaves the 99 to go after the one, specifically going to the oppressed, the marginalized, the overlooked, and the outcast. And this is good news, because if you are feeling disenfranchised, oppressed, Lonely, depressed, unworthy, unlovable, insecure, insignificant, cast out, or just plain jaded and burnt out. Jesus is coming specifically for you. He wants you. He wants to love you. He wants you to come home to him. And this is good news. This is joy you can choose, receive, and have because Jesus is someone you can say yes to, someone you can receive, and someone you can have. It's a life-changing relationship you can have. It's true, perfect love you can have. It's new hope, joy, and purpose you can have. And it's an eternal inheritance that you can have. It's good news. And it's good news that you can say yes to today. This is joy that you can step into today. Now, many of us have heard that invitation before. And maybe every time you do, you think either, oh, I'm not ready yet. Or maybe you think, well, that just sounds too simple. Hold that thought. Let's rewind a bit. Here's the second thing I want to zoom in on in this passage. As I sat with this passage at the start of the week, the phrase that jumped out to me, and pardon the pun, was this. The baby leaped in her womb. Did anyone else? Did anyone else zoom in on that? Anyone else underline that? Maybe. I see some, some head nods. Yeah, it, it sparked something inside of me. Kind of, kind of like some, some unexplainable, innocent joy. And I, I underlined it. 
The first time we felt Phoebe kick in Amanda's womb was back in May. We were baby mooning, road tripping through upstate New York, and we were staying at a mountain lodge. Uh, and it was our first night, and I was getting ready for bed, and Amanda shouted, Oh my gosh, I think I just felt her kick! So I rush over, I place my hand on her belly, I wait for a little while, but sure enough, a few moments later, I felt the tiniest little bump. If you have kids, you, already, you know the sensation, but friends, that little tap is one of the most amazing sensations you will ever experience. Think about it. It's so much joy wrapped up in one little bump. So much hope and promise of the life that is growing inside Amanda and the life that will come out of her body wrapped up in one A tiny but massively significant little bump. And so when I read this, part of the joy was just being brought back to that moment in May. But part of the joy was also the realization that wrapped up in that little bump, that little kick inside Elizabeth's womb, was the promise of the arrival of our Savior King. Think about that. The greatest news the world will ever receive expressed in a little tiny bump. Chris isn't here, but this is where Chris will be like, that's definitely a God moment. Now, it just so happens that the baby who kicks is John the Baptist, who is the last to prepare the way for Jesus. Pastor and author Christopher Ashe writes, John the Baptist will be the last prophet, the final spokesman of the Old Covenant era. And here, even before he was born, his whole tiny being leaps for joy in the presence of the only just conceived Jesus. Think about that. All the longings of the Old Testament feed that joyful jump of the little unborn baby John the Baptist. A tiny but massively significant little bump. And Elizabeth cries out, verse 44, For behold, Mary, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. We've just talked about how the greatest news ever for the Jewish people, the entire world, and really all of history came to women first. The gospel comes to the disenfranchised first. But notice who reacts first. The baby leaped the first reaction in this little episode comes from the baby. The first person to react to Jesus' presence here in this picture is the unborn baby. The first reaction, the first exclamation of joy at good news comes from the child in the story, who isn't even born yet. Just let that sink in for a moment. We've heard the invitations to come to Jesus, accept Jesus, and surrender to Jesus, and enter into a life of newness, transformation, discipleship, and joy. We think, I'm not ready yet. Or, that sounds too simple. 
Maybe you don't feel ready. Your mind and your emotions are apprehensive and maybe even a little afraid. But maybe beneath all that, deep in your heart and your soul, your innermost being that we're so good at repressing, maybe your innermost being is crying out, yes, I am ready for anything. I'm tired of life as it is. I am not content. I don't know what joy is. I'm dying little by little each day. I want hope. I want joy. I want love. I want God. Give me Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit inside of me. Give me new life now, says our soul. But we're good at drowning it out. We're good at thinking our feelings and emotions are the voice of our souls when they are not. We're good at drifting, we're good at remaining where we are, being pushed back and forth by the culture around us and the endless distractions. We're even becoming content with the constant flood of bad news, negativity, and toxicity. I can't tell you how many people talk to me about the toxic environments they're in, but they never walk out of it. Joy in the capacity for joy, the capacity to handle joy, to want joy and to have it, almost completely snuffed out. Our minds say, I'm not ready for change. That's too simple. All the while, our souls are desperately pleading with us. Your feelings may be saying one thing, but what if your soul is saying another? Elizabeth ends with this. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary heard good news and believed. As it turns out, taking the first step of faith is simple after all. Mary, blessed among all women, because she believed. Elizabeth, blessed because she believed that this was, in fact, the best news ever. The baby leaped in her womb, the first person to recognize and celebrate Jesus here. The best news ever was a child. And so what if, friends, what if the invitation is to be like that child? To be clear, it's not to be immature and childish but to be childlike, open to possibility, open to adventure, open to wonder and faith. Later on in Luke chapter 18, after welcoming children into his arms, children, people who are at the lowest on the social ladder, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Or in Matthew 18, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself 
like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Children have a sense of wonder. They haven't been jaded by the world, but they also refuse to be jaded. They're persistent in getting whatever they think leads to joy. Second, children have no problem asking for help. Adults have a serious problem asking for help, especially adults in a hyper-individualistic culture, adults who are insecure, adults who are too proud. It's as if we have some great image to keep up. Children have no problem asking for help. They don't feel like they have to do it on their own. They'll ask for help and they'll ask again and again for help. And it's these two things that make faith natural for children. They're open to wonder, and they're not too proud to receive help. Children also aren't afraid to go all in on something. Like when my little brother was into dinosaurs, he was all in. He could not stop talking about dinosaurs. 90% of the news I heard from my brother was news about dinosaurs. When they were into Pokemon, they would not stop talking about Pokemon. You were there, Randy. They were all in. So what would it look like? Just muse with me for a moment. What would it look like if we came to Jesus with a sense of wonder? Open to possibility. Open to new adventure. Open to wonder. What if we came to Jesus with humility and a willingness to receive help because we're really not good at doing life on our own. Let's be honest. And then what if we finally went all in with him? Friends, what if, right here, right now, what if God is coming to you and meeting you exactly where you are in that pew? He's meeting you exactly where you are with your skepticism, with your apprehension, with your fear, with your complacency and or pride. And he's saying to you, yes, it is quite simple. Yes, this is the best news you'll ever receive. Whether you're a non-believer struggling to take that step of faith, or you're a long-time believer struggling with wonder and joy. Jesus' invitation to you is the same. Believe. Believe in me. Believe that I am the best news for you. Follow me. Take my yoke upon you. Be my disciple, and in time you will see. In the midst of the negative news headlines and the toxic gossip and conversations, believe that I am the best news for this world. And that peace and reconciliation are only truly possible through me. So friends, what if you took God's invitation today to let down your guard, to put away your pride, to the voice of fear in your head say, no, not today. To the voice of complacency say, I'm done with that. To the voice of skepticism say, thanks for trying to guard me, but I'm gonna walk by faith today. What if 
you took up God's invitation to become like a child and simply believe. That'll look different for everyone here. Maybe your step of childlike faith today is believing that Jesus is, in fact, the best news for your life and for the world. Maybe childlike faith for you is believing in Him, accepting Him as Lord and Savior and surrendering your life to Him. If this is you, why not say yes to Jesus today? If this is you, I would love to talk and pray with you after the service. If you're a believer already, maybe childlike faith for you is simply believing in the power of prayer, being persistent to it, committing to a life rhythm of prayer, committing to spending time just to be with God in prayer. Maybe childlike faith for you is believing in the power of Scripture and trusting that it's speaking into your life. Maybe childlike faith for you is trusting in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in you. Maybe childlike faith is believing that change is Possible for you, for your family. Maybe childlike faith is believing that transformation is possible. Miracles are possible. Or maybe childlike faith for you is something as simple as trusting God with your finances. Or finally seeking his will for your life before you apply to that next job. We all have a step that we can take. Just start where you're at and take a step. Because what if this step of faith, this step into the unknown, what if it's actually your surest, most certain step towards joy? What if it's the only way to truly and effectively choose joy? And what if we, like the unborn baby in the scene, what if we celebrated and reveled in this good news? What if, instead of consuming, imbibing, and circulating bad news, we consumed, digested, and circulated the best news? What if the good news of this season took over and permeated our conversations? In our community groups, we've been cultivating Thanksgiving as a practice and habit. And this is a great way to circulate good news. News of what Jesus has been doing in our lives. But what if news of the presence of the Spirit in our lives that was, was something that also actively circulated in our conversations? What if the good news of Jesus, who he is, and what he has done and is doing, isn't something that we compartmentalize into our church-only conversation box? but something we allow to seep into every sphere of our lives. Why not let the greatest news and the greatest joy spread like a new, all-consuming fire? Friends, I'm here to tell you, you can choose this joy. You can receive this joy. We can say yes to this joy today.
Let's stand and pray. Jesus, we are such an apprehensive people. We are such a timid people. We prefer to hide and to repress and to deny. But in doing so, we lose out on so much. We lose out on wonder. We lose out on the fullness of life. We lose out on beauty. We lose out on love. And we lose out on joy. But Jesus, we know that you have come to give us joy. We know that you are the source of joy. And so our prayer this morning will be that you would come and help us to say yes to you. Lead us to choose you, to choose your joy. Lead us towards childlike faith. Lead us to put away our pride, to put an end to our jadedness and our complacency and our fear, and simply to come and to say yes to you. In your name we pray. Amen.